Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to the last Talkback Gardening of 2023 and the first Talkback Gardening at 8 o'clock this morning. Well, the first for a long time anyway. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Yes, and welcome back to Talkback Gardening starting its original time of 8 o'clock back in the 1980s. That was a long time ago. But uh, it's 2023. And before we say goodbye, before it gets to its use-by date, we would like to look at it in review. Uh, first of all, of course, last week we were talking tomatoes and people having a great tomato season. Just uh, some comments, some text coming in from you would be welcome as to your salad vegetables. How are they going? Cucumbers, zucchinis, lettuces, and uh, maybe uh, uh, those kind of vegetables. Are they uh, uh, responding to our probably uh, cooler than average season? Um, talking of seasons, um, would you say that 2023 was wetter or drier than average? I won't answer yet. I'll see if someone can get that right on the text line. I know what I would like to say. So let's, if, if you want to answer that question too <laughs> um, and tell us how your summer green vegetables are going, please call through, um, sorry, or please text through on 0467 The first person that gets that one right, you can tell us the actual answer, John. But also tell us uh, how your summer greens are going. And if you'd like to speak to John, call in on 1300 222 Perhaps a, a, a hint or two. Uh, six of the months were wetter than average. Six of the months were drier than average. And the average for Adelaide, at least, is 527 millimetres. So, at the end of the year, will, we, will it have been a wetter or drier year? Wow. Uh, and we're going to continue, of course, with the theme of uh, uh, 2023 in review. Special guest is Marilyn Kuschel. Trevor Nottle was unable to uh, be part of the program, and I uh, hope things are going well, Trevor. But uh, uh, Marilyn Kuschel is a wonderful horticulturist, lecturer, a pillar of support for the botanic gardens to uh, our old history uh, uh, gardens and uh, so much more. And we'll talk to Marilyn in particular. Uh, Trevor Nottle... Uh, three, uh, in 2020 gave some wonderful insights into the gar- changes in the garden industry. Because of COVID, there was a renaissance in gardening. Is that renaissance fading? What are the consequences of that? And what lies ahead for gardeners? Now, just bear in mind, our main guest will be not at after 9 o'clock. It'll be at just after 8.30. That's right. So we're adjusting ourselves a half an hour early on Talkback Gardening uh, from now forward. So if you'd like to talk to John call in now to get in early on 1300 222 891 and don't forget that John loves to talk to you about your question because you like to drill down and get the information you might think all oh, that sounds like a and then find out actually I'll eliminate A, B and C. It's probably D. Sometimes <laughs> I often listen to the program in in retrospect and, and think, oh, goodness gracious, I should have asked more questions because I don't think I gave the right answer to that particular question. So it's important that you give me as many clues as possible before we can hone in on what was the particular problem and is it the right answer? Yes. So please call with your questions for John right now on 1300 Love your comments on 0467922891, especially this morning about how your summer green salad vegetables are going this season. And almost being the new year, I have three December ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away later in the program, two by phone, one by a text. So get yourself queued up for that as well. Um, and uh, don't forget that John's advice is of a general nature and shouldn't be taken as personal professional advice. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Let's get into Talkback Gardening. Michelle in Glenelg is first cab off the rank in our new time of 8 o'clock. Good morning, Michelle. Yes, good morning. Good morning, John. And um, I've got a row of lily pillies. There's about 14 of them. And I cut them back in October. And um, I went away for a week and I've come back and they've gone berserk. And I'm just wanting to know if I can trim them now. Okay, so long as you use that word trim rather than cut, because, right. okay, you've mentioned that uh, they've 
produce beautiful growth in springtime. Now that growth should theoretically be starting to harden up. Uh, you have obviously looking after your plant, uh, there's plenty of soil moisture and so it's still in growth mode. That mm, growth, very much so. That growth uh, will actually harden up a little and let's hope it hardens up quite considerably uh, before we get well into January and February because mm. in those two months, the Bureau and also uh, Darren Ray, climatologist, are suggesting we're in for some hot weather during January, February. So if you cut back hard now, you'll get more new growth, soft new growth, and it's likely to uh, burn or suffer stress as a result of that hot weather. So Yeah, if- this got, it's, taken, it's grown about... Um, 50 centimetres. Yeah, well, that's that's the nature of lily pillies. They have got tremendous potential for growth, and that's why they're used for hedging and for topiary, and uh, it's a very versatile plant. But now is not a good time to cut it back hard. What I'd suggest is you actually trim, and what you would do is get your hedge clippers and just take the tips, take the tip out and maybe the first set of leaves. Though tips, those oh. tips contain... That's only about 20 centimetres. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to cut it back, wait until autumn. Early autumn is the time to do your cutback. Okay. You put up with it. But the, uh, what I'm sort of saying is you can manipulate the hormone growth. It's hormones within the plant that are allowing it to grow quickly. And if you take... Right. The, and, and most of those hormones for growth are in the tip growth. If you take the tips out, you reduce a lot of the potential for growth. And that slows it down no end. If you don't do it by autumn, you'll have uh, probably twice the growth you've got now. If you tip growth now, you'll probably only have maybe 20, 25% of the growth uh, potential. So tip growth, but don't cut. Right. Right Okay, thank you. Thanks, Michelle. (laughs) Lovely to hear from you. Uh, Barry is in Strathalbum. Now, Barry, your frangipani's not flowering. What's happening? Yes, good morning, John and Deb. Uh, yes, I've got a frangipani. It's about five years old, and it's in a pot. Uh, the pot's about 50 centimetres wide by about 50 centimetres high, and the frangipani has grown well. It's about two metres high, uh, but it's, it hasn't grown the leaves, but it's starting to show flower buds. And the leaves that I have shot are only about three centimetres long. Now, it's the first time it has done this. I'm just uh, wondering what has gone wrong. I think it's just saying we don't particularly like our mild start to the growing season and there are a number of warm season semi-tropical type plants that are just sitting there quiescent waiting for the warmer weather Um, and I think uh, your plant is young so that's uh, probably uh, it's not into uh, full flowering mode yet the fact it's in a container means that it's likely to be stressed easily if it doesn't get dry out or gets too much water and uh, I think the third factor and probably the main factor is the the temperature Uh, they respond to very very hot uh, or very very warm temperatures and I think uh, it will sort itself out as temperatures start to rise at this stage I'd do nothing dramatic Uh, maybe uh, give it one of the uh, soil stimulants and one of the plant stimulants so one of the seaweed products and the other one based on fish or compost but uh, don't give it too much active or uh, quick-acting fertilisers, and uh, I think just let nature take its course. Okay, thanks, John. It just seems so weird that the flowers are are starting to uh, come into bud and uh, just bare of leaves. um, Yes, obviously the cold weather has a lot to do with it. Yeah, and again, it goes back to hormones, and I won't try and explain uh, the hormones, the difference between hormones for leaves and hormones for flowers. But, uh, yeah, and and, uh, the trigger for the hormones for for flower have been triggered, and uh, probably those for uh, leaves, uh, what happened back in autumn, uh, probably was a stressor there, and so the the leaves are probably uh, not as been looked after as well as the, the flower section. Right, OK, John, so I just hope for a bit of warm weather to come. <laughs> I think a lot of gardeners are hoping for that one <laughs> there, uh, Barry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And while I'm just, if I've got a second, our tomatoes are going really well. First time my wife has picked tomatoes uh, before Christmas. Well, that's great, but how are your summer green vegetables going, Barry? That's the question and, for this morning. Yes, and our cucumbers, we've been giving that many of them away this last week. 
so they are going really well. Okay, the important not, that's um, not that's very positive because a lot of people got lots of flowers on their cucumbers and they're not setting, or they have little cucumbers and uh, they look like they're about to uh, produce a, a proper cucumber and then they turn gr- uh, yellow and and and, and uh, go all mouldy and drop. So that's uh, uh, again a good positive one. Thanks, Barry. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much, John. Thanks, Barry, for the call. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Now, you posed the question, John, and we've got an answer. Is 20, Was 2023 wetter or drier with six wetter months, six drier months below average? Now, P- Philip from Kapunda got in first, and he has also, before I give you the answer, sent through some amazing photographs of his green summer vegetables looking lush and gorgeous thank you philip very very lucky and says wetter than average is he right yes absolutely right yes and that's why people are saying oh my tomatoes are going gangbusters lily pilly is putting on this extra growth and the soil profile is full of moisture at the moment and plants are responding to that but uh, there was about 50 or 60 millimeters more than uh, uh, we would normally expect for december here in adelaide and i'm sure most other people if they record uh, rainfall you'll find that uh, at the end of the year Uh, there will be more rainfall recorded this year than you would on an average year. That is very interesting indeed. In fact, Graham on the text line says, we've been promised warmer and drier conditions all year. (laughs) (laughs) On top of the Wollonga Ranges, our average rainfall should be 600 millimetres. Last year was 815 and this year is 816. There you go. How about that? Wow. Yeah, it Excellent. falls on the just and the unjust. <laughs> we are asking you how you're going with your green summer vegetables. Let us know on the text line 0467 We'll talk to Walter, Gerald and Heather next. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Talking tomatoes, Walter in Tea Tree Gully, yours have got a few holes in them. Good morning. <laughs> Yes, good morning, Deb, and good morning, John. I've got one sole tomato plant, <clears throat> John, and it seems to be going through a midlife, mid-life crisis. It's, um, it goes from being uh, strong and healthy-looking. It then, over, literally overnight, will go all, it wilts, it completely wilts. I give it some water, it springs back to life again. Then its leaves turn slightly yellow and translucent. It's producing some nice fruit, but I don't know what's going on. I, I, I gave it some tomato dust because I thought it might have some disease, but it's up and down every day sort of thing. I, I never know what it's going to be like the following day. I suspect you've got a virus, and that's not good. What happens is uh, the virus affects the root system, and so the root uh, system uh, is gathering the, the nutrients and in particular the moisture and pumping that into the leaves and on a warm day uh, if you've only got half a root system because of the virus you're finding that uh, uh, it's not able to provide sufficient moisture and so the plant wilts um, and, and when I say it's the root system, what actually happens is you, if you get uh, one of your branches and cut it, and, uh, just cut, make a cut across a, a thick branch, it's quite likely you'll find that inside the, where uh, the moisture goes up and down inside the plant, it, it's all gunked up, and, and that's the result of that virus. Uh, it's terminal. Uh, I would suggest that if you've got fruit on it, and uh, they're ripening or near ripe, keep it going as long as you possibly yes. can. And uh, on hot days, put some shade over it so that it doesn't wilt as much. But you'll find that uh, as it progresses, uh, it will wilt, uh, the wilts will increase. And uh, the fact that you've only got one tomato means you're not going to contaminate any other uh, tomatoes around it. But at the end of the exercise, make sure you get rid of that, put it into your green bin, don't put it into your compost, and even the soil itself. Either sterilise, use sun sterilisation to sterilise the soil if you want to use it again, or put that soil in that container somewhere else in the garden where it's growing sort of ornamentals and won't be affected by the virus and then have nice fresh soil for your tomatoes either late in the season or next season. Sounds like an RIP for the tomato plant, John, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thanks, Walter, for calling in. Sometimes you don't get the news you're hoping for. Uh, Gerald is in Paralawi. Uh, Gerald, you've got a recurring weed in your garden. Good morning. 
Yeah, good morning, Devin, John. Yes, it's uh, an amazing uh, a weed. I don't know how to describe it. It's like a succulent. It just grows and comes up everywhere. Um, it comes up small and has little green leaves underneath. It's red and it's like, yeah, I just I, I don't understand. It's prostrate. Is it upright or prostrate? No, prostrate. Prostrate, it's okay. And, and the flowers, did you say? Yeah, what, if I let it go, it'll get little tiny yellow flowers, yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, well, if you're a, a keen gardener, I would suspect that uh, the... Uh, and you're obviously aware of it, and the fact that you're uh, uh, doing something about it uh, means that I think if you try and control it while it's small it'll probably be one of the broadleaf weeds that germinate from seed there'll be a big seed bank in the topsoil and so they'll keep on germinating while the soil is moist and warm but from your point of view you need to run that seed bank down so allow the weeds to germinate and when they've maybe got one set of leaves or at the most two sets of leaves if you spray the area with one of the non Knockdown weedicides. Uh, Slasher is probably the, the most uh, uh, widely used. It's new. All it does is just purely a knockdown. It's not systemic. It's knockdown. But if you spray the ground and just mix it up according to the directions, or you buy a ready-to-use a squirty one, and just a thin amount of spray over the uh, over the area where they're germinating on a warm day uh, do that in the morning and by the afternoon they're all dead and if you do that persistently um, you'll control the weeds don't let them grow don't let them seed which i think you're well and truly mm-hmm. aware and i think uh, if you do it and persist uh, run down the please, seed bank please, and, uh, and please, john uh, sorry i'm trying to identify this uh, invading thing well, the best thing to do is to take a photograph of it, Gerald, or you can no, take it. No, I thought, I don't know, I see it growing around and, uh, around the area where on, you know, on the, what do you call it, you know. Right, okay, the, 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 the leaves are succulent, you say, uh, and they're green, and, and the stems are sort of thick or thin? No, it's very, it, it's flattened down. But okay. Just, Listen. The reason I ask that is I suspect that uh, if my uh, colleague uh, and friend Chris Butler, agronomist uh, at Roseworthy, is yeah. listening, <laughs> he'll probably tell me exactly what it is. Uh, I could guess, but uh, without seeing a picture of it uh, in mature and in flower, uh, that's the limit of my schools. Where yeah. uh, the people like Chris is, uh, can give you the right answer. Yeah, so if Chris, if you can uh, come in with the answer, but if it's not, uh, then I think uh, if you uh, take a photo of it, you can match it up with things online that's right take a photo and you can always um take a it into your local council or to a local garden center and they might be able to identify it for you straight up but if it's happening around your council area gerald might be one there to alert them to as well thank you for the call let's go to sajuna now heather good morning good morning deb and john um i'd like to know what causes my apricots to split at the top it's a small tree. It's only the first year that I've allowed fruit to grow on it, and it's probably had three apricots. Okay, but it's splitting at the stem end. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, that's just uneven growth. Uh, the fact that it's young. Uh, means that uh, it's still settling down. The hormones within the plant are sort of got to figure out uh, who's got to produce the flowers, who's got to produce the growth, and and, and all those kind of issues. So, and what's happening is uh, there's the fruit. It's growing, and it's quite likely that uh, it's growing at a steady pace. And then along comes a downpour of rain, lots of extra moisture, and the, the root systems get working, pump up extra moisture into the apricots. And there's not many apricots on the tree and what happening is there's more moisture going into the apricot fruit itself uh, and the skin can't grow fast enough and so it starts to split and that split usually starts at the stem end so I just think it's uneven watering and uh, because the water has come from the sky not from you I don't think you can be blamed for that particular problem Heather and I think there's not much you can do I just uh, hope that they get to a ripe stage before uh, the birds get to them and certainly hopefully you can get to the apricots when they're ripe before the birds do.
I actually have eaten one of them and it was very juicy and mm. very sweet. So I'm looking forward to next year when there'll be lots more. Oh, <laughs> just lovely, just a quick, quick one. Birds are going to be a big problem on fruit. The fruits, are, particularly apricots and plums, are starting to ripen. You can now, people can't put on a great big net over their tree for many reasons. You can buy little small nets and the little nets, get, either you have a, a little small net that goes over a bunch of fruit or else you can buy uh, little nets that go on a limb and you just put it over the whole limb and that just means that where you've got uh, lots of apricots uh, on a particular limb, you put the little uh, uh, stocking-like uh, uh, netting over that and that protects it from the birds and at least uh, you don't have to do the whole tree but if you pick out uh, uh, where the best fruits are and you buy a little packet of these uh, and there might be about 10 little nets mm. uh, in, in a packet and uh, probably for less than $20, I'm not too sure what the going price is now but it's just a good idea of protecting and more, more people are growing fruit trees in containers and so it, they're able to do that they've got a smaller tree uh, the birds still come in and, and pinch the fruit so if you can put netting over them and protect them at least you get to eat the fruit rather than the birds. exactly and i have to say that um, my friend's nectaring crop just went the birds took it they know exactly when it's done but those small nets sound like a great idea because sometimes the big nets are very hard to put over a tree particularly if you're on your own and then it's very hard to get them off and they can get all tangled up so I love the idea of small nets thank you John I'll be doing that thank you for the call Heather great to hear from you now uh, Gerald's problem in Paralawi lots of texters uh, saying purse lane uh, Kathy says re-round flat uh, succulent type weed sounds like purslane was a big problem in my Northfield garden but persistent removal has been successful um, lots of people are coming up with that also Andy from Pinery says portalaka 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 is it so yeah. either of those are certainly options no, and that's for the reason why uh, without seeing it I could say portalaka I could say porcelain and be wrong could yeah. be something else but so uh, take it yeah. in thank you very much for those that are saying purslane and I would have put my money on that being the weed but uh, yeah. Um, now, Lynn is in Loxton. Lynn, we, did you have a tree hit by the lightning that we had this week? Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I did. And a piece, piece of, um, it was really loud clap. And the next day when I was watering some pot plants, I noticed this, all this debris laying under the tree and this huge, well, reasonably large piece of bark. And so my neighbour came over and have a look and we decided, yeah, that must have been the loud clap of thunder or loud, loud noise we heard. So he Googled it and just was wondering. He said, oh, I could potentially lose the tree because the lightning boils the sap in the tree or something. Is that right? I mean, all the soil down the bottom of the tree at the base has been disturbed. It just looks like somebody's been trying to dig a hole. It's, a, you know, the ground's all loose and loose. Yes. Wow. Well, it could well be lightning. I mean, lightning will hit a tree and it'll hit a side of a tree and you'll find one side of the tree, will uh, the bark will die. Uh, you'll find just a branch will be affected. Um, so uh, I think it's Great. more than likely it is a lightning strike and yep. uh, the best thing is to do nothing. Uh, trees right. have a tremendous capacity to repair themselves. If uh, yes. the d material bark does uh, become dry uh, and, and and dies, and you might find there's weeping of of, of um, materials coming out of it, uh, maybe just scraping the material off. But I wouldn't be doing too much. Just let it let the tree repair itself. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a huge tree. It's about seventy years old, and it's halfway up. So there's no way I can scrape anything off. And oh, okay. Yeah. No. No, well, we had uh, an arborist on the program a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, Michael Palamountain, and who was saying, look, trees have been looking after themselves for many centuries uh, and putting on materials to try and uh, uh, protect them is probably uh, not very, very effective. Just let them look after themselves. And it, they will either recover and they don't recover. Well, that's it. Yeah, well, Lynn, let's hope that that beautiful tree, 70 years old, does recover from the lightning strike. Interesting question. Thank you very much. Now, John, you've put the call out on how people's summer vegetables are going. I have to say people are still telling us about their tomatoes. Someone has sent in one tomato on a set of scales, three quarters of a pound and says it was grown in a container. Well done. <laughs> Please add your name to it. Love to know who it is. Uh, Sandy in the Mid-North says zucchinis, plenty of green growth but very few zucchini. Those that are produced very small and stunted. Cucumber plants not growing. 
eggplants, very slow growth, tomato plants, good growth, flowers and green tomatoes, no ones, uh, no ripe ones yet, but harvested lettuce in September. Uh, and Jesse and Mitchum says summer greens, warrigal, saltbush and parsley doing well, mignonette lettuce gone to seed without anything worth eating, no sign of basil and didn't plant any veg because of the puppy. <laughs> So not sounding good so far. Um, And Barry says, I've grown a very abundant crop of Roma tomatoes in pots, but the fruit's very bland and the flesh is very soft. Interesting. Okay, and I'm very uh, interested in those comments on the salad lines in particular, Mm -hmm. simply because there are a lot of people succeeding, a lot of people having problems. Do we have time for a quick comment or two on yes. the salad lines? Yes. Let me say that uh, your salad lines, and we're looking at lettuce, and in particular the non-hearting lettuce, and then there's the salad greens, uh, uh, the things like uh, radicchio and, and rocket and things like that. There's a whole range of those, and they are uh, very easy to grow. So also are cucumbers and zucchinis. But uh, as I say, they are quick, quick to produce, they are very easy to grow, and there are a few little uh, Achilles heels. All of those salad lines have got shallow roots. It just means their root system is in the top probably five centimetres. That's their main moisture uh, and nutrient uh, gathering area, that top five centimetres. So if you're planting salads, look after the topsoil. Make sure that uh, once the plants are established, you've got a good mulch there, maybe having them growing them in a little bit of a basin. So when you put the water, the water goes into where the roots are, which is very close to the main stem. But uh, they are quick growing, uh, they are quick to respond. Be careful that you don't put on too much nitrogen fertiliser, otherwise you get lots and lots of growth uh, without getting, uh, in particular, the cucumbers and the zucchinis setting fruit. Uh, But uh, I think if you just bear in mind the fact that they are surface-rooted and look after the roots rather than spending a lot of time trying to get the top growth growing and be prepared that uh, uh, Darren Ray, when he turns up next week, will probably talk about January and February being pretty warm. Be prepared to shade your plants. One other one, uh, we, uh, Brett Draper last week was talking about new products, new age products, mm-hmm. and the importance of drought shield. Drought shield is, is a protective. It's like a polymer you, play, you spray over the plant and it reduces the transpiration from the plant. But the key thing is... Spray your seedlings before you transplant Mm. rather than after. Uh, You've got to put the the spray on, then uh, that protects the plant, and so when you do actually transplant the seedling, the transpiration is is already reduced rather than uh, you transplant, it's starting to transpire, it's uh, drooping, and you spray it then. And I won't say it's too late, but it's far more effective to put on your drought shield and those kind of sprays before you actually do the transplanting. Excellent advice from John on summer green vegetables. Well, COVID certainly brought a lot of negatives and a lot of changes to our lives, but one of the positives that it brought was a renaissance in gardening. What's the outlook in the new year and what's it been in 2023? Marilyn Cushel, our very special guest, joins us in just a moment. This is Talkback Gardening. With John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Is the COVID-inspired renaissance in gardening coming to an end? You may recall back in 2020 when COVID was out there causing mayhem, many people retreated to their home, to their garden, and they wanted to grow their own fruit and veggies for various reasons. In our last program for 2020, Trevor Nottle, garden historian and wonderful gardener uh, and uh, many other skills, joined the program and gave us some insights into what might happen as a result of COVID and this lovely renaissance. Well, has the renaissance uh, faded? Is it starting to fade? What's likely to happen in the future? I thought it would be an opportune time to go and take a look at those insights put forward by Trevor, and our guest is is uh, Marilyn Cushel. Marilyn is a, a wonderful gardener, but she's also a brilliant horticulturalist and a pillar behind many of our gardening organisations, the Mediterranean uh, uh, Garden Club. Uh, you'll find that some of many of the historical, st- historic uh, gardens, uh, like Beaumont House and, and Stangate House, 
Phillips, you'll find Marilyn Cushel is, is, is a pillar of strength behind those. She plays a major role and has played a major role with the Adelaide Botanic Gardens in their planning and, and looking forward there. And so welcome to Talkback Gardening, uh, Marilyn Cushel. Oh, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, and I love hearing to you. In fact, uh, you were one of the the early guests on Talkback Gardening when we only had a half-hour program, I can recall. (laughs) But but we won't go go into that one at this stage. Let's (laughs) let's start uh, uh, with uh, the the Renaissance. Uh, uh, Trevor indicated that the the Renaissance was responsible for strong interest in gardening, and uh, there is a perception, maybe, that it's starting to fade would you care to comment um it's there are some days john when i i feel very pessimistic about the future of gardening but most of the time i am feeling quite positive and optimistic and i think covid did teach us a lot of things and it did um highlight to the population the importance of having a patch even a tiny patch or a few pots where you could grow things when you were confined pretty well to your homes for long periods of time. And I think the people who had success with growing plants during the depressing days of COVID and lockdown realised what a joy it can be, what a pleasure it is and the excitement of picking your first um, sugar pea or tomato or zucchini. And uh, I think that that sense of reconnecting Um, with plants and gardens uh, has persisted and I think there are a lot of people who are continuing to grow their own particularly vegetables and fruit um, because they people who did it for the first time got a real buzz out I think we can take that as a positive there are people that have moved away from gardening and there are so many competing activities uh, against gardening but uh, those that have stayed have learnt and uh, we will come back to that particular point in our discussion Marilyn one of the issues that uh, uh, Trevor Noddle introduced was uh, garden clubs for a hundred years almost garden clubs were uh, a major played a major role in getting new in information and even traditional information across to gardeners but garden clubs uh, the people running the garden clubs are aging they're starting to fade the clubs are starting to fade uh, and uh, uh, some uh, but Trevor had the insight to say well look some will actually fade away and others will learn to innovate in terms of garden clubs how do you see are garden clubs fading are some of them innovating Um, A little bit of both. I think that um, the community garden movement where people who have downsized and have lost their big backyards and now only have a tiny apartment or a balcony um, have flocked to community gardens and I do commend the local governments and the councils for supporting the establishment of community gardens right across South Australia and I think um, it's particularly in heartening to see that a lot of the people who've joined the community gardens are younger people um, and and they can learn from the older gardeners in these um, community gardens about how to grow vegetables and they can learn from each other um, by actually doing it together as a group. Um, I think the sad thing is that a lot of the older garden clubs, the specialist garden clubs, are declining in numbers and it is definitely harder to find people who are willing to take on the organisational roles of president or secretary or treasurer or program managers for the garden clubs. And I think um, there are a few garden clubs that have closed because COVID um, really did see the end of them and since um, we've been back into a more normal world, um, people haven't necessarily gone back to their regular garden club meetings and I do see that that is a problem. Could I come in on that particular point? As you mentioned, uh, uh, as the garden club members become older, uh, people are reluctant to take on the role of president and secretary and and running minutes and now uh, uh, people are being encouraged to get onto social media and run newsletters and things like that. Um, So, And many will just fade because they can't cope. So we come back to 
uh, Adelaide wanting to be a, a greener and cooler and wilder city. And Green Adelaide is, is putting itself forward as the supporter of, ga- of the garden industry, and I would like to think our home gardeners. Could it be there's a role for Green Adelaide as the, as the umbrella for providing assistance for garden clubs, maybe uh, helping them carry out the administration, maybe providing uh, facilities for them to meet, and also you mentioned the community gardens uh, that are growing and, and the importance of the potential uh, for teaching people about gardening and people becoming involved in gardening through community gardens. Is there more? Uh, is there a need rather than have a bean counter, a bean counter at the at the top of uh, the organisation? Have a few people uh, down at the the gardener level and and talking to gardeners uh, about what they want in community gardens and supporting and 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 garden clubs. Uh, a change in in mind attitude from a government point of view. Um, I think I think support does need to be given and to facilitate more um, gardening classes, um, teaching gardening. I've been involved in the educational sector of horticulture, you know, for thirty five years, um, and I did a lot of taste teaching years ago and there was a big demand for home gardeners not just for the professional and vocational trade courses in horticulture and parks and gardens management but for home gardeners to be able to attend gardening classes and learn the basics um, you remember Peter Bennett used to run many 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 decades ago his wonderful organic gardening classes and they were very popular um, I, can, I think that the cost of some of the classes um, became too great, perhaps pe- perhaps they were worth it, but people didn't perceive that. So I do see um, a role for governments, local government level or state government level in helping to uh, facilitate more teaching of gardening because one of the problems that we find with all this information that's now available on social media, um, Facebook groups, etc., it's, it's some of it is inaccurate and there's no regulation and people do send in photographs, post a photograph of a bug or an insect on a plant and say, what is this, friend or foe? Now, it's wonderful that other members of these groups uh, jump back and give their um, what they think the problem is and how to deal with it, but quite often it's inaccurate and therefore potentially not at all helpful. Um, On the other hand, some of the groups um, and some of the garden organisations, and I'll mention Yates here, have a wonderful website and a wonderful helpline, but they have trained horticulturalists behind the scenes answering these questions. The same goes for the Diggers Club, um, has a very uh, wide following on their Facebook page. But some of the answers given just by fellow gardeners is not accurate. So there is definitely a need for um, accurate information to be given from uh, people who've got the science and the background to answer the questions accurately. On that particular point, so is it the role of industry, the Yates of this world and the Diggers Clubs of this world, to support that? Or is there a a need for the government to say, look, we need to perhaps assist people so that when you're running your open garden clubs or the open garden scheme is combining with the landscapers to put on um, an expo of gardens, and that's not without cost, the need for some assistance there, or maybe just I'm aware of the the tremendous amount of valuable information stored within the, the... the cabinets of, of, of uh, uh, Green Adelaide and, and, and their predecessors, there's information there. It, it's getting it out in a form that gardeners want. Maybe the government should be looking at how they can uh, progress that particular point of view. Uh, look, I think you're absolutely right, John. I think there needs to be much more, and I've been going on for years and years about the importance of reintroducing a lot more of horticultural classes in the schools. Um, many of our primary schools have wonderful little vegetable gardens and teach uh, gardening at a very, very basic level. I think it needs to be um, in, reintroduced into the curriculum in secondary schools to give students um, 
a much better and a science-based introduction to gardening. All right, there's some lovely thoughts coming through there, Marilyn. Before you disappear, you're a very keen supporter of volunteering and uh, you have organised volunteers for the historic gardens that you're involved with. You've organised uh, uh, volunteers for uh, the botanic gardens. The importance of volunteering and maybe sort of draw experience with the botanic gardens into the importance and the benefits of, of volunteering, of, of people who love their gardens and want to be involved with gardens becoming volunteers. Oh, I think volunteering is fantastic and you actually get more out of it than you put into it. And I think if people realise the value of gardening in groups, getting together face-to-face and working alongside other people who also love plants and gardens is enormously good for you and it's good fun and you learn a lot from other people. And, of course, if you are volunteering in looking after one of the National Trust Gardens like I do... Um, you have the benefit of feeling some sense of ownership of these beautiful properties, mm-hmm. these gardens, and feeling like you're actually doing something worthwhile. And uh, then, of course, when the gardens are looking at their best, um, you know, we open them up to the public, sometimes through the open garden scheme, sometimes through just open days. And to share that knowledge and to be part of the group that tends the garden um, does give you a sense of pride and achievement. And I, I wish more people would volunteer and COVID has certainly had a very negative a- impact on the numbers of volunteers we've had for instance, through the Friends of the Botanic Gardens. Yes, um, on, on that particular point, uh, time's going to beat us, Marilyn, so um, could, would you care to just nominate three organisations that would love a volunteer or some more volunteers and uh, would benefit from becoming involved with those particular organisations? Well, I definitely would suggest the National Trust because there are properties all over the state of South Australia and many, many of them have historic properties that need love and attention. The Friends of the Botanic Gardens are always looking for more volunteers um, and in fact the Botanic Gardens itself has, has appointed a wonderful volunteer coordinator called uh, Ryan Sims who has been very successful in attracting a lot of younger people to come and volunteer at the garden. So there's a lot of opportunities in a wide range of fields there. Um, and of course the Mediterranean Garden Society is one of the clubs that's actually expanded its numbers mm-hmm. since before COVID. And there are lots of volunteering opportunities through the Mediterranean Garden Society. And as Trevor was one of the founding members of the international group and the South Australian group, um, I think he would be delighted to know that there would be more people wanting to join and to learn and to offer their time and expertise too volunteering with the Mediterranean Garden Society. Marilyn Kuschel, just wonderful listening to you. Uh, You've still got the passion in your voice that you had when we first talked many, many years ago. And the the influence that uh, people like yourself and Trevor Nottle have had on the garden industry in South Australia, uh, working in the background, uh, unsung, but uh, is appreciated, I hope, by many. And thank you for your contribution this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Marilyn. Marilyn Kuschel, immediate past president of Friends of the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, volunteer coordinator, as we heard, of some beautiful gardens through the National Trust, uh, like Stangate House and Beaumont House. And Marilyn, you've got a text here saying, brilliant work yet again from Auntie Mary. Lots of love from the nieces and nephews in Mount Gambia. Thanks for your advice (laughs) on my fence bordering trees. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Thanks, Marilyn. Thank you, Deb. Bye. Thank you. Happy New Year to Marilyn Kuschel. And uh, thank you very much to the texter who sent through a beautiful picture. It's Eliza. I sent a photograph of tomato, 600 grams, grown in a pot. I'm not a gardener. I followed John's guide on potash and fertiliser. Just say hello, <laughs> Marty's each day. It must be the answer. Thanks, Eliza. Lovely to hear from you. We're going back to our Talkback Gardening calls in just a minute. The number is 1300 so, Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. It is the last Talkback Gardening of 2023. 
We uh, would love to hear from you. one 891 if you'd like to jump in the queue. Just on summer veggies, John, uh, Helen from Narracourt says, Cos lettuce going beautifully. First year success with cucumbers. Eggplants slow. Capsicums and chilies flowering well and fruit forming. Tomatoes, huge fruit but not ripening. Sia sent through a massive mortgage lifter, two tomatoes topping out at 842 grams on the uh, scales, which is incredible. And Fiona in Mylor says zucchinis going gangbusters. Cucumber, um, I think slow tomatoes. Sorry, cucumber slow, tomatoes not yet. Lots of tiny baby beans and spinach and asparagus average. So, yeah, sounds like you're getting a bit of a meh sort of season for the summer greens at the moment. There's a lot of healthy plants. The plants are growing. They're looking good. Uh, What we need is a little spell of warm Mm. weather without the heat spikes or waves. Exactly, exactly. Alex is from Burnside. Now, Alex, you've got a bougainvillea question. What's happening with those? Hello. Uh Good morning and season's greetings to you both. Um, my bougainvillea is uh, very lush, very tall, very beautiful, no colour, no flowers and no colour on the bracts. I think it's, so, just, it's, um, it's, it's like uh, many plants, uh, particularly warm-loving plants, <laughs> why are we waiting? We're sitting here, we're producing leaves, we're ready to go, but our flowers are not going to come out because uh, it's not warm enough. Bougainvilleas really are tropical and semi-tropical and they need their temperatures in the high 20s and they thrive when the temperatures get into the low 30s and even beyond. Uh, you got a dwarf bougainvillea or these are the normal uh, no, this, this climates? This is a normal one. It's, it's growing yeah, quite okay. high. Well, it's uh, in the wrong position. Sure. I, I realise that it's facing... Yeah. Well, do nothing. Yeah. Do, do absolutely nothing. If you want to, if it's going berserk and very, very vigorous, uh, take the tip growth out. Just the tips. Don't go cutting it back, otherwise you'll get more growth and more leaves. But uh, I think just wait until uh, uh, the warmer weather, and uh, we'll be interested to hear what uh, uh, Darren Ray has got to say next week. Alex said that it might be in the wrong position. Is it worth? Can you move a bougainvillea easily? Alex, where have you got it at oh, the moment? No. No, no, it's too awkward, too awkward. Yeah, Yeah, okay, and I'm assuming that bougainvilleas, if you're planting a bougainvillea, if you don't put it in full sun, you don't get the benefit, so uh, they really are sun lovers, will take the hottest of hot, hot weather. Mm. Thanks for the call, Alex. Louise is in Pasadena. Now, there's something happening to your lemons, Louise. Hello. Hello. Uh, Yes, there's something growing on the surface of the fruit, sort of like a creamy... um, creamy colour and you can sort of scratch it off with your fingernail. When you say, okay, it's creamy. If you uh, poked it, would it uh, go go squash and juice come out of it or? No, no, it's more dry, like a waxy. So it's a dry patch, Uh, it's a dry white patch. Yeah, more creamy colour than white, but you know, bony colour. Okay, is it on the one side, on the western side of the fruits? It is on the, no, um, it's sort of like scattered around the tree, possibly more on the All right. I was looking side. for signs of sunburn, but uh, mm. <laughs> I don't think there's been enough hot sun to cause burn <laughs> on citrus at the moment, so I think we'll discount that one. So if it's not a sunburn, and I don't think it is, it's more likely to be uh, probably uh, a bacterial or, le- or fungal spot um, so uh, how wide are those little spots or areas? It's a it's, centimetre uh, or three or four centimetres? No, no, no. It's running down the fruit in you know, a kind of a streak, say three or four mils and then spreading out a bit. No, okay. I'm, I'm a little bit miffed mm-hmm. on it. Um, I mm. suspect if, and it's just on the, on the surface. If you de- dug, mm. uh, just, took the skin off, the it's only on the surface. You can yeah. scratch. You can just scratch it off with okay. your fingernail and underneath it's sort of... Right, well sometimes you just get, uh, uh, the fruit is rubbing against a twig and you can get uh, damage, uh, uh, the little cells rupture. Mm. 
and and they just mm. just discolour, but they usually sort of go a brownie colour rather than a creamy colour. So uh, if it's not a lot of twiggy material, sort of like close to no. your fruit, I would suggest it's bacterial. Um, and if it's not doing any harm to the fruit itself, uh, I don't know that I'd be doing too much. If you wanted to, you could probably spray the tree, assuming it's either fungus or bacteria, spraying the tree mm. with a copper a copper spray, a liquid copper, mm-hmm. uh, when. Okay. Uh, and, and just let that uh, uh, work, uh, spray them on a, on a mild day and, and uh, mm-hmm. that would give you protection from further and it may be worthwhile taking some fruits to a garden centre and get confirmation that it is a, okay. a, a, a skin problem and not something else. Okay then, thank you very much. Thanks Louise. Is it on a lot of your fruit? It's Well the tree's got a lot of fruit on it and no, it's probably on, you know, 5% or less okay i was going to say it couldn't be something as innocuous as bird poop could it because (laughs) (laughs) i I have so many birds in my backyard that that sometimes happens to my fruit but it doesn't sound like it there's a bridge i must write that one down could it be birds (laughs) i'm sure it's not louise but thank you very much for the call and of course don't forget that next week is the first week of the month And that's when Darren Ray, our local climatologist, will provide a wonderful three-month outlook for home gardeners. And in particular, he's going to take a look at January and February. Is the hot weather going to turn up in in waves or will it be in spikes? And we can live with the spikes but not the waves. And Darren will also give us his insight in terms of autumn. Could it be that we're in for a relatively mild autumn and that's a wonderful planting opportunity for late summer vegetables? But all of that next week in Talkback Gardening. Thank you to everybody that's called in in the new time of Talkback Gardening this morning from 8 until half past 9. You've sent in so many beautiful texts. We can't read them all over the air, but we have had a look at them and some of the wonderful photographs you've sent through of your crops as well. Thank you one and all for sending those through. And Noel at Westlake says, we listen to other gardening shows when travelling and they are never as good as your gardening show, John, which explains why you get interstate callers. Yeah, it's fascinating and uh, yeah, it's about being relevant. It's about what are the issues and it's not just me uh, being a smarty. It's me listening to what you're saying and listening and saying, oh, okay, there's a problem there. I can find somebody who's got the answer to that particular problem. It's a but symbiotic relationship, isn't right. it? Yeah, anyway, uh, I love doing the program and I think uh, there is uh, uh, more programs to continue in 2024. So in fact, I'll say until next week when we start a new program of Talkback Gardening uh, with Darren Ray, climatologist. Good gardening.